Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel in Hookson. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. If you're being encouraged or challenged by this teaching, would you consider giving us a five-star review? That review and rating moves us up the list so others might find us more easily so they too can benefit from this podcast. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. We are, we are in this series, Abba Father. We're, we're a few weeks in now, and... Um, I began this series because I realized how much we've often missed concerning our relationship with God. Um, sometimes we, we get saved, uh, and then we join a ministry or a Bible circle, and we're just going 100 miles an hour, and we are not developing our relationship with God. Uh, we're not looking to Him daily. We're not living in His presence. We're just doing. We're just busy. And I'm not against doing. I mean, the Bible tells us that we're blessed if we do the word. Uh, but there's something to be, something else to be being, right? We are the children of God, and living out of that identity is is uh, invaluable as we serve the Lord and as we serve others and as we testify and witness to our faith. See, here's the key, right? When when your relationship with God isn't right. When your relationship with God your Father isn't right, that impacts every other relationship in your life. But when your relationship with God the Father, with Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, when your relationship is correct, and it's healthy, and it's whole, that brings joy to your heart. That brings something that the world is missing, and joy is so much more potent than happiness. Joy is not based on circumstances. It's based on the person of God in your life. It's when you get up in the morning and you recognize that God is up there with you. You go to work during the day and you recognize that Abba is with you. When you go to bed at night and you realize that it's almost as if God is sitting on the edge of your bed. And you're communicating to him in that personal way. Man, that is life-changing. That creates a compelling nature in you that the world needs to see. This is why we're doing these series this year. is to raise up a church of people who are compelling others to come to Christ. Not just with their words, right? Uh, of course, we should invite others. We should share our story as it relates to his story. We should share the gospel with others. But folks, if your life isn't compelling without your words, man, you're missing half the battle. And you're also missing half of your power. Words alone won't do it. You need to have something that people can see. Um, faith is substance. You realize that today? A lot of people think faith is ethereal, that faith is invisible, that faith is intangible, but the Bible says faith is substance of things that are not seen. 
And when we're walking in our faith, man, people can see it in us. And it's compelling, and it's interesting. And so we're talking about Abba and our relationship with him as our father because it can change our lives, not only our destination, but our lives here on earth. And this morning, this morning we talk about Abba and our shame. Abba and our shame. So the, the question is, what happens? What happens when I fall? What happens when I fail? What happens when I repeat? Right? Think about that for a second. What happens when I fall and fail, but what happens when I repeat? Has anybody sinned in the church? Has anybody here blown it? If you've blown it, go ahead, raise your hand. I know you have, because I'm pretty sure you're flesh and blood. How many of you blew it yesterday? Oh, shame on you. Shame on you. You blew it yesterday. What's wrong with you? How many, how many of you blew it in the same way that you've blown it before? Anybody? But I thought you repented. Oh. Now, this is what happens when Satan comes into the mix. He says, well, if you really repented, you would never do that again. How many of you blown it in the exact same way you've blown it before? Raise your hand. How many of you heard that whisper? Well, if you really repented, you wouldn't have done it again. Anybody hear that whisper? If you really repented. How many of you heard this whisper? If you were really saved, if you were really a child of God, you would not have done that again. Anybody heard that one? Now, listen, the reason I'm having you raise your hands, one of the reasons, besides you guys need cardio, is that... Um, yeah, come on, preach it, brother. Hey, I stepped on the scale the other day, less than 200. I'm like, I'm not doing anything. Taking my ADHD medication and one of the side effects is losing weight. And I'm like, dude, this is like the best. I can kind of focus and lose weight at the same time. It's almost not fair. Anyways. Where was I? Obviously, I need to up my dose. It's, that's not a joke. Um, so so we, we hear these whispers, and I'm having you raise your hand because this is what happens. You feel like you're alone. You hear that whisper, and you think it's unique to you. It's not unique to you. I'll never forget a year I was at summer camp. There was a pastor up there. His name's Joe Burris, Victory Baptist Church in in uh, Rochester, New York, he's like the karate kid. He's like a five-time world champion. This guy is just ridiculous. Broke boards. Patrick broke a board. Taught you how to do that. You did it wrong. Almost broke your hand. Yeah. And, um, and this is what he had. He said, now, kids, I want you to sit down. Adults, those of you that are leaders, counselors, if you struggle with sin, would you stand up? And like every counselor stood up. And I'll never forget the looks on these little Baptist teens' faces. They were shocked. They were like, wait a second. Adults struggle with this stuff? Yeah, we do. And this is why it's important to understand our relationship with God and our shame. Our relationship with God and our shame. It's absolutely vital that we begin to um, realize that Satan's goal, once you're saved, once you're saved, you're always saved. 
Once you've been redeemed, you are held into the grip of the hand of Jesus Christ. The Bible says no man can pluck you out of his hand. No man, not even you. And then he's like, if that's not enough, in case you're wondering, my Father, who is greater than all, this is in John chapter 10, holds you in his hand. And nobody's able to pluck you out of his hand. So you're in Jesus' hand, and then the Father's hand comes around Jesus' hand, and now you're in Jesus' hand and the Father's hand. If that's not enough, the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our salvation and that we are sealed by the Spirit of redemption. So we have Jesus holding us, we have the Father holding us, and then covering that whole thing is the Holy Spirit. Dude, this, listen, the devil cannot penetrate that. Once you have been redeemed, you're in the hand of Jesus and he will never let you go, ever. So what's Satan going to do now? He can't steal us. So what does he want to do? Well, the Bible teaches us that he is here to destroy us. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your witness. He wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to destroy your relationship with your Abba Father. He wants you to get to a place where you are no longer relating, like you're still a son, but you're not talking to dad. I've, I've, unfortunately, I've seen this even in Christian circles where fathers and sons or mothers and sons or daughters have gotten to a place in their lives where there's so much hurt and so much misunderstanding and so much angst that the child and the parent stop talking to each other. For years I've seen this. For years they haven't spoken to each other. Or brothers, brothers getting into a conflict and the conflict becoming so sharp that the brothers stop talking to each other. They're still related. And this is what Satan's his desire is. Because when we are separated from fellowship with our Father, remember what I was talking about a moment ago? Our compelling nature that thing that causes us to look like Jesus, act like Jesus, love like Jesus, begins to diminish because ultimately we need to be connected intimately with our Father in heaven. So, God and our shame. One of the most important things that we need to understand in our Christian experience is our relationship to God and how it can begin to free us. How it can begin to free us, not only from our shame, but from our sin. So let's read the scriptures, Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Oh my word, man. That's, this is probably my favorite phrase in almost all of the New Testament. It's one of my favorite phrases. He has made us accepted in the beloved. Let that, let, let, let that settle in for a second. Who has made you accepted in the beloved? Who has? Is it you? Did you make you accepted? Is it your performance? 
Is it your performance? Is it, oh, I'm, I'm perfect now. I haven't sinned in like a whole day. So now I'm accepted in the beloved. I, 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 didn't, I didn't yell at my kids today. So now I'm accepted in the beloved. Right? I didn't lie. I didn't cheat. I didn't lust. I, so now I'm accepted in the beloved. What made us accepted in the beloved? God did. God did. By Jesus Christ. Here's, I love this. According to his good pleasure. I'm jumping ahead. Lord, help me. Um, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. God's not cheap. Which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, <clears throat> having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure again, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, that's us, man, which are in heaven, when which are on earth, in him. In him we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed, I was mentioning that a moment ago, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, who is our guarantee, the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Fancy word, a redemption of the purchased possession. In other words, man, when this life is over and your body is resurrected as Christ, that's what happens. Until that happens, the Holy Spirit seals us. I mean, that's good stuff. That will preach. Abba in our shame. Abba in our shame. There's two books that have meant a lot to me over the years. One book is by Erwin Lutzer. It's how, to name, it's how to say no to a stubborn or a sinful habit. How to say no to a stubborn or a sinful habit. Um, in his book, How to Say No, I'm going to paraphrase for you. He essentially points this out in the beginning of the book, that if you have a stubborn habit or a sinful habit, something that has become besetting in your life, Hebrews talks about besetting sin, something that is tripping you up, that God can and will forgive you every time you come to him. Okay? I want you to understand this. He points out the believer can never be too far gone for God to forgive him. That until God takes that child home, there is ever the opportunity for forgiveness and restoration, no matter how many times he may fail or struggle. Now, can I get an amen on that? The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Here's the, listen, if we stop there, we miss the beauty of this, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't just stop at saying, oh, I forgive you. He says, now I'm going to clean you up. That's a beautiful thing. Now, we as believers, we hear this, we know this, but Satan wants us to become distracted and deceived. He wants us to believe that you can cross that line whereby it will be too late for you. 
Years ago when I was a youth pastor, I coined this phrase, if you're not dead, God's not done. Right? If you're not dead, God's not done. Now there are extreme cases where God will take a child home. He will take a, a Christian home. Okay? That does happen. Where they have crossed one too many lines and he sees that they're never coming back on this side of the grave and he's like, okay, son, daughter, it's time to come home. And he brings them home. Well, you're still here. <laughs> so unless somebody keels over right now during the service, I'm pretty sure he's not done with you yet. But Satan wants us to believe it. Erwin Lutzer, he goes on. He was the pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago. He recently retired. Um, I think he has a podcast, Running to Win, or, or a radio program, Running to Win. And uh, he goes on to say this. He says the, 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 the trouble with this, the trouble with, with staying in this habitual sin, the trouble with falling and falling and falling and falling is this. Not that God will stop forgiving you, but that you will stop going to God. The trouble with this is not the heart of God. It's the mind of man. Okay, you follow me? The trouble is not with the heart of God. God stands ready to forgive. Do you know why? Because the blood of Jesus is potent enough for all the sins of all the world, for all time. There is nothing the blood of Jesus cannot cleanse and cover. The heart of God is not the problem. What becomes the problem is the mind of man. I can't do this again. I can't go to my father again. I can't confess this again. If I really meant it, right? We, we get into this mindset that instead of, instead of running to the father, we begin to run away from the Father. So the problem is not the heart of God, it's the mind of man. The danger of crossing a line of sin, either in depth or number, that may lead the sinner to becoming convinced, becoming convinced that he cannot approach the Father any longer. No matter what he may know of God or read in the Bible, this lie has become sure to the struggler. It's too late for me. It's too late for me. Now listen, we've been talking about spiritual warfare in this church, particularly among the leadership. Satan is angry. He should be. Because God is doing a work in the people of this church like I've never seen before. And he is so angry that he has unleashed the hordes of hell upon the people of this church. Make no mistake about it. And if God would open your spiritual eyes right here this morning, you would see demons in this space struggling for your attention and whispering lies to your heart. And one of the lies that he whispers to our heart is this. It's too late. It's too late. It's too late. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever heard that phrase? If you've heard that phrase, can I ask you a question? Have you ever heard it repeatedly? You know what I'm saying? Like, you're sitting there, and in your mind, you're thinking this. To you, it's you. It's too late. It's too late. It's too late. It's too late. Has that ever happened? Just like on Rewind, like a scratched record? Has that ever happened to anybody? It's too late. It's too late. I'm going to almost guarantee you this. That is a demon. That is a spiritual presence whispering in your ear. It's too late. It's too late. It's too late. It's too late. 
Don't let them win. Immerse yourself in the Word of the living God. Man, the sword of the Word. Cut those ties that Satan is trying to string around your heart by immersing yourself in the Word of God. Whew! My hope today is that God will break chains that have bound you by helping you to recognize Abba and your shame. The second book, the second author, and this guy I absolutely adore. You've heard me mention him before if you've been with me for any length of time, more than five years or two years. F.B. Mayer, Frederick Mayer. He's a contemporary of a man named Charles Spurgeon and D.L. Moody. He was a pastor in London and an amazing Baptist preacher, a prolific author. Uh, one of the, I think he was one of the founders of the Keswick movement over in England years and years ago, 1800s, late 1800s. And uh, in his book, Back to Bethel, he, he, he explains this, that sin in the life of a believer actually draws the father to that believer as sickness draws a loving mother to her ill son. That the sickness of sin stirs the compassion of our Father toward us so that we may approach Him with confidence, knowing that He understands our frame and loves us anyways. Man, I love Mayer. Uh, the way he writes, it just resonates with me. Sometimes you read someone and you're like, that's really good. And sometimes you read someone and you're like, wow, I could have written that. Like, it just, the way it's written sounds like your voice. Does that make sense? That's mayor for me. And I love this illustration. And today is a great illustration of this. My son, Nate, turned 14 today. And um, he's not in here, but he's, uh, I think he went home. Um, I'm looking at him. He, he comes home from Sunday circle. And, and I'm looking at his face and I'm like, hey, happy birthday, buddy. So he's a... Uh, and I'm like, oh, he's 14. Uh, but no, he's just like, he's just like, I'm like, what's the matter? I'm just really tired, man. Just really tired. I'm like, all right, let's go, let's go to church, buddy. And we're bachelors living it up this week. And uh, he comes to church, and I'm looking at his face, and Nate can't fake sick. You know what I mean? Like, some people, like, I used to fake sick when I was a kid. I used to put my head, hey, mom. Um, <laughs> We had forced hot water and you know, the, the registers, and I used to put my head on the register <laughs> to heat my forehead up, and then I would go under the blankets, and I would breathe, <sighs> so I get really hot and sweaty, and I go, Mom. And then you got to listen, you got to pick something that you can't, you can't actually diagnose. I'm really dizzy. And I had a skull fracture when I was a kid, so it was easy. Like, I did have vertigo when I was a kid, but not all the time. <laughs> Can I stay home today? Oh my goodness, you're burning up. Anyways, Nate can't fake it because his cheeks are flushed, his ears are red, his eyes are like, just like popping out of his head. He's got bornable eyes. Bornable eyes, my father-in-law's born. They all have bug eyes. Um... <laughs> Love you. They're watching online. Anyways, listen, man, Nate being sick, mom's not here, but I, I love my son. I'm just like, come here, buddy. Let me, let me check. He's 14. Doesn't matter, right? How many of you moms would walk up to your 30-year-old son and go, are you feeling okay? 
Like, I think my mom still does that to me. I'll be 50 in May. My mom's like walking up. You need to take better care of yourself. Are you getting enough sleep? Mom, fine. Right? Because as parents, there is a natural love that we have for our children. Is this not true? The Bible teaches in the last days there will be unnatural affection, but especially for believers, folks, we have a natural affection that God has given us for our children. Unless you're a total loser, no offense, you love your children. You love them. And so here's Nate this morning, and I'm just like, come here, buddy, come here. Flips his, I flip his flow up. <laughs> and he's growing his flow out. And I flip his hair up, and I'm like, dude, you're like, he's like warm. So now mom's not home, because mom's down in Mississippi with Chloe and visiting Brandon. And um, no, I love Brandon. Not as much as Chloe, apparently. Um, so I'm like, hey, I need a mother here. I need a mother. And it's so funny, because I think like Nate has 10 mothers in the church. I got Suzanne and Jen like flipping his flow up, checking his, checking his forehead. Oh, yeah. You're warm. You need to go home. Go home, take some Advil. Are you too hot? Like, you're wearing, this sweater's too hot for you. You need to go home. Get that sweater off. Like, and they're drawn to, come on now, you're drawn to this sick child. You just, you love this child, and that sickness kind of draws out that motherly thing or that fatherly thing. Sin is sickness of the soul. Do you recognize that today? Sin Often in the Bible, whenever you see lepers cleansed, that's symbolic for sin. Sin is the sickness of the soul. The Bible teaches us through the Apostle Peter that sin wars against our souls. And it stirs the heart and compassion of God. Now the enemy, remember what the enemy is going to whisper to you. It's too late. 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 This is what the enemy wants you to believe. The enemy wants you to run from God when you sin. He wants you to wallow in your shame. And so we just read a passage from Ephesians. And I want to ask you to do something. I'm going to move through a few things from that passage quickly to show you the heart of God. But I want you to write this down. I forgot to hit publish on our Bible app. My apologies. I did the whole, all the work and I forgot to hit publish. Sorry, Michelle. It's my fault. My bad. Um, the go in your Bible app, highlight these verses, and I want you to meditate on them. I want you to think about the heart of God. Here's a few things that can reinforce your relationship with God even when you fail. This passage reinforces these truths. One, he has blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That's present tense. God is blessing you. You might say, ah, but I've lost my job or I'm sick or I'm... Listen, he has blessed you in heavenly places with all spiritual blessings in Christ. How he loves Jesus, he loves us. Do you get that for a minute? How he loves Jesus, he loves us. He loves us so much he sent Jesus to redeem us. Someone said if you were the only person on earth, God would have sent Jesus to die for you. We need to understand this. He has blessed us. He has, here's the, listen, I'm not going to get into uh, um, 
the doctrine of a, uh, what people refer to as Calvinism today because I'm not, I, I choose not to ascribe to one school or another. I just try to interpret the Bible as clearly as I can understand it and interpret it. But you cannot deny the fact that God has chosen you. Now, you can argue about how he determined that choice if you want to. But there is no arguing, there's no denying that if you're a believer today, God picked you. He chose you. He adopted you. Do you understand that? There is, there, is, um, there, is, there is comfort in the idea that if I'm a believer, God has chosen me, man. He wanted me. He wanted me. He has made me accepted in the beloved. I do not always feel accepted. Anybody else like that here today? Has anybody struggled with feeling betrayed? Feeling rejected? Yeah, I see a couple people bold and confident to raise their hands. Listen, that's like my modus operandi, man. I was bullied as a kid. Right? I struggled. Um, and feeling accepted was difficult for me. Um, feeling rejected was normal. Uh, feeling betrayed, normal. So when I read this, it stirs my heart. I want you to envision this. If you're struggling with acceptance this morning, and if you're struggling with acceptance, I want you to envision this with me. You don't have to close your eyes, but if you want to, you can. I want you to envision yourself as a child, maybe even at that point in your life where you felt the most insecure, where you felt the most rejected. Think back to that moment for a second. Okay? Picture it in your mind. You're rejected. You're betrayed. I want you to recognize the truth of this scripture in that moment in time. You are accepted in the beloved. I want you to imagine Jesus who said, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I want you to sit here for a moment. Envision that time. I want you to see Jesus coming to you, kneeling down so he's eye level with you, taking you by your head, pushing your hair back like your flow, and speaking to your heart these words, you are accepted. You are accepted. Oh, Satan doesn't want us to believe that. There is so much power when you begin to understand your standing with your Abba. You are accepted in the Beloved. Oh, man. That is so good. It's so amazing to me. You are accepted. In Him we have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of sin. And here's something that he mentioned twice in this short passage. He said this, according to his good pleasure. Did you catch that as we were reading through it? He chose you according to his good pleasure. He redeemed you according to his good pleasure. He accepts you according to his good pleasure. Dude, it pleases him that you are his child. We could just close on that, man. It pleases him. He's pleased. 
that you're his son, that you're his daughter. He's pleased about that. That blows my mind. That blows my mind. He's happy to call you son. He's happy to call you daughter. There's power. That's God. That's Abba in our shame. When we fall, when we fail, it's so important to understand that the forgiveness of sin has already been paid for. You don't have to pay for it anymore. You do not have to pay for your sin anymore. Matter of fact, it's impossible for you to pay for your sin. The only way you pay for your sin, brothers and sisters, is if you don't get saved and you go to hell. That's it. Now, some of y'all might not know Jesus like this. You might have a form of religion, but you've denied the power thereof. You've denied the true power, which is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, and offering you new life with no strings attached. Trust me. Man, if you haven't trusted him, I hope you'll trust him today and that all of these things that we've just read about will be true of you. This passage that I just read about Abba in our shame, it should encourage you to go home and, and communicate with your father. Consider these things. Meditate on these things. The temptation, the temptation is to retreat. And folks, I said it before, we're in a spiritual conflict. There is no retreat, there is no surrender, and there will be no quarter given. Take a look at this. This is probably one of the greatest passages of Scripture that we could refer to when we, con when we consider Abba and our shame. It's a passage called the prodigal son. Prodigal simply means it's wasteful. Prodigal means wasteful. He said a certain man had two sons. A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, or in Luke 15, the younger son gathered together, gathered all, all the possessions that his dad had given to him together, journeyed to a far country, got as far away from dad as he could, and there wasted, there's the prodigal, wasted his possessions with wasteful living, prodigal living. Whew. And when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land. And he began to be in want. He got hungry. He had no money left. His friends were abandoning him now. So he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And that citizen, he sent him, the prodigal, into the fields to feed his swine. And this prodigal, he would gladly have filled his belly, his stomach, with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. <clears throat> but when he came to himself, some of y'all need to come to yourself today. You've not been coming to the Father. You need to come to yourself, though, first. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. 
I don't believe he's being manipulative in this. I believe he's rehearsing what he's going to say because he doesn't want to screw it up. I believe this is revealing his heart. He goes on. When he arose, he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. This son essentially had approached his father and said, give me, um, give me my inheritance. Give me what I'm going to get when you die. I'm not going to say the son said, hurry up and die, but it's a close second. It's a close second. Give me my inheritance. And then he went and wasted it all, living in a way that was the antithesis, the opposite of how he was raised. I have loved ones. I have, I have kids that I raised in my youth group, and, and we all have these stories of people that we love that have left our side and chosen to live with opposite values. You want to know something about that? What was the father's attitude by this person who chose to take his money to a place where he couldn't follow or wouldn't follow and spend it on things that the father wouldn't have spent it on and wasted it? How many of us would be like, oh, son? His son said to him, Father, Abba, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Where was, tie this to Ephesians now, what makes us accepted in the beloved, our behavior or our position? Behavior or position? Quick. Position. Position. What gives us the position of a son? Jesus. Our acceptance of Jesus makes us accepted in the beloved. This son says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You see how skewed his perception is. He's based his, his worth on his behavior. Now listen, this denotes a certain level of sincerity, however. He is recognized that his behavior does not measure up. To his position. He recognizes this. This is repentance. He's not hedging. He's not lying. He's not making excuses. He's simply saying, my behavior is not worthy. The Bible does teach us that we are to walk worthy of the vocation to which we have been called. So he comes though. His worth is based on his behavior. He recognizes his behavior was wrong. And he says, Father, um, uh, he said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father, the father, Abba says to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring out the best robe, put it on my son, a ring for his hand, sandals for his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry." Now, I mean, we're living in the West. We're living in America and New Hampshire. How many of y'all have a fatted calf in the backyard you're waiting to kill? 
we kind of lose this. It's like, what does this even mean? I mean, it means like put the 20-pound turkey in the oven, get all of the fixing. We're having Thanksgiving dinner, but it's not Thanksgiving. Oh, yes, it is. My son was dead, but he is now alive. My son was lost, but he is now found, and they begin to be merry. I wrote myself a note when I was a teenager here in the church. And I had seen people fall away from the Lord. And I had heard their testimony when they tried to come back. They were so ashamed and so guilt-ridden that their shame kept them from coming back for so long. And I wrote myself a note. I think I might still have it in my nightstand somewhere. And it said, Eric, if you ever fall away, come back. It's not what you think it is. They will love you, they will accept you, and they will be ecstatic. Church, that's the truth. The lie is when we begin to wander away from church, when we begin to stop coming to church, what happens is this. Our defenses are brought down because Satan, he's brilliant. Right? Divide and he separates the sheep and he takes them out. He wants to get you alone. He wants to get you secluded. He wants to get you where you don't have this preaching coming into your heart every Sunday. You don't have a Bible circle where people are speaking into your life every week. He wants to separate you. He wants to destroy you. My son was lost, but he is now found. Oh, man. They began to be merry, and then there was Cranky Boy. That's all you self-righteous suckers in the church. I know I'm a pastor, but I'm also real. He's in the field, he comes, draws near to the house, hears music and dancing. He's like, dude, party? Calls one of the servants, what's going on? What do these things mean? He said to him, your brothers come home. Now, you're always going to have that one. So you come back and 95% of the church will be excited that you came back. What Satan wants, to focus, wants you to focus on is that one who's like, Oh my goodness, I can't even, I can't believe that the church would allow him to come back, like allow him to serve on the worship team. Don't they know what he's done? I can't believe that everybody be excited about, I've been here all along, nobody gave me a party, nobody gave me a thank you card. This church plays favorites, look at this guy. He received him safe and sound, your father's killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go. Therefore, the father came out and pleaded with him. There's the prodigal in the far country. And then there's the prodigal in the pew. Folks, you don't, you don't, you don't have to go to the far country to be a wasteful Christian. You can be right here in your seat and be a prodigal. This older son was self-righteous. Self-righteousness is prideful. It compares self with others. It accounts its own goodness as something that causes it to be accepted by God, and it forgets this. Self-righteousness forgets this. You are accepted in the Beloved. It's still your position. Even when you're doing everything right, church, get this now, 
even when you've had a day that you didn't sin. And those happen. Do you know that? You will get to a point in your Christian life where you will have a day, two, three, four, that you actually haven't sinned, that you have followed the Lord. And those days are glorious, not because it makes you more accepted, but man, it's beautiful living without regret. It's beautiful following Jesus. It's beautiful when you recognize His presence with you. It's so amazing. But that's not what makes you accepted. That's not what makes you accepted. When we begin to get self-righteous, we begin to think it's about us. And we begin to get haughty and arrogant. And we forget that a church of broken people has to have broken people. Or it's not a church. And our problem becomes when people are broken in ways we don't want them to be and don't think they should be, and they're broken in a flavor that's not ours. But the father saw this self-righteous son. What did the father do with him? I just mentioned to one of our leaders the other day, I said this, we don't throw away people. We don't throw people away. We're all broken, and we all need Jesus from the first day we're saved to the last day on earth. He goes to his son. He answered him and said to his father, well, these many years I've been serving you. I've been faithful. I'm doing all the right things. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Liar. And yet, you never, gave, you never even gave me a young goat. <laughs> that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as his son, this is this, oh, I love the way he says, as soon as this son of yours, as soon as this, this son of yours who came, he's devoured your livelihood with harlots, that's prostitutes. You kill the fat. So he's looking at the son, and instead of looking at the son as a redeemed child of God, he is assigning his worth to his behavior. You kill the fatted calf for this loser, and you forget that your acceptance is in the beloved. He said to him, son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Child of God, Abba and our shame. Can I ask you a couple questions? How does God show his desire for mercy and compassion toward his son? You read this story. And it's toward both sons, really. But how does he show it? And particularly with a prodigal son, what do you see that the father does? Think about it. First of all, we see the father running to his son. That's unusual in this context, that this elder would hike up his robes and run, and his son is still afar off. So there's a couple of things that I can build conjecture from, but conjecture that I feel are as ground in the facts. I believe this, that the father yearned for a relationship with his son that his son had severed. The father was looking for his son. I believe this, that the father got up every morning, went to his porch, 
walked out into the dewy grass, perhaps walked a few hundred yards into the field up to the road that's on the hillside that he knows leads away to the far country. And I believe this father, I just believe this every day, he would walk up to that hillside and he would just look down that road. And he would stand there and watch. And he would wait. And then he would go back to work. And the next day would go by and he would go up through that dewy field again and he would look up that hill down that road and he would watch. And he would wait. And then one day, he comes out of his house, goes down the porch steps, starts walking up that dew, through that dewy grass, and he looks up the hill and down the road, and he sees a little puff of dust. He's like, what's that? Could it be? Could it be? It be my son. Now, guys, as a dad, I know my son's stature. You know what I'm saying? Nate has broad shoulders. He's a big boy. I know his posture. I know how he walks. And I can kind of pick him out of a crowd. So here's this dad. He's looking down. He sees the posture of his younger son, and he just knows it's him. And he runs to him. Abba and our shame. How does God respond to our shame? How did the father respond to the son's shame? Did he shame him? What did he do? First we see, he ran to him. He welcomed him. He drew him in. Oh, man, he fell on his neck and cried. Man, can you imagine what that's like? You shouldn't need to imagine. You should know what it's like. Because that is what Abba does for you every single time you fail and come back to him. He loves you to himself. He ran out and he met him. What else, what else happened that shows us the heart of the Father? What else happens? He says, get the best robe and put it on my son. Get the best robe. Listen, man, the Bible teaches us that we are robed in the righteousness of Christ. And I believe that when he calls for the best robe, he is reestablishing his son's identity for his son. You went out and lost the robe of righteousness. You went out. Listen, he didn't lose his salvation, but he lost his identity. He'd forgotten who he was. Ah, just make me a servant. Just make me a servant. Oh, no, 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 no. Give me the best robe. Wraps it around his son. Give me a ring. Give me a ring for his finger. The signet ring. The family, the family ring. Man, you are my son and you are worthy to me. You are accepted. Give me the ring. Get it. Put it on his finger. This means he's my son. May he never forget it. So he gets a ring. He gets a robe. And this is the thing that, oh, I love this. And I know it's getting late, but too bad. Man, listen. How many of y'all like, read this and read through it where he says, my sock game is strong today. He says, uh, 
and get sandals for his feet. How many times have we read this? Now I'm going to take the other one off. This guy, this kid, he had wasted so much of his father's living that he's coming home barefoot, man. He's got nothing. When we talk about blowing it, dude, this guy blew it. Doesn't even have shoes for his feet. And as I'm reading this passage, God's like, hey, Eric, hey, Eric, listen, man. I don't miss the small stuff. I don't miss the small details. When I restore somebody, baby, I restore them. I am not bringing you in and having a party with the fatted calf and holding over your head those things that you've done. I am restoring you from the bottom of your feet to the top of your head. Can I get a hallelujah? I'm telling you, man, this is Abba and our shame. You need to what? What do we do when we find that we have failed? What do we do? Well, first of all, the Bible says he came to himself. The Bible says that he had fallen, he had failed, he came to his senses and he recognized that he had, he had lost everything. And so I want to say this, when you are ashamed, when you have fallen, repeat, fall and repeat, when you are ashamed, come home, come home, come home. Every time, come home, just come home. He is waiting with open arms. If you're not dead, God's not done. Come home every time you fail. Hey, all thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God. Get out there and be the blessing.